Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast. This is a weekly conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded in Latin America. Here, we deconstruct their past experiences in the Latin American region and formulate best practices for other leaders to follow. We do this in the interest of solving one of Latin America's most pressing needs, closing the life science innovation gap between the U.S., Europe, and patients in Latin America who need faster and easier access to innovative and breakthrough medical technologies. Today, we have a very, very special guest. His name is Dr. Sanjay Srivastava. Um, Sanjay has been involved in developing, commercializing, evaluating, and acquiring medical devices for nearly two decades. He worked as a vice president, upstream marketing and strategy at BTG PLC, and as a director of global marketing at Medtronic. Prior to that, he held R&D management positions at Abbott Vascular and Edwards Life Sciences, respectively. He's now pursuing his entrepreneurial interest and has co-founded two medical device setup companies within the last year. Additionally, he's a member of the board of directors of Hancock Jaffe Laboratories, a publicly traded company or medical device company, and California Cardiac Solutions, another medical device company, is actually a startup company engaged in developing a novel solution for heart failure. Sanjay holds 27 issued U.S. patents, another 20 pending patents, and numerous international patents in medical devices. He has edited two books, including one titled Medical Device Materials, published by ASM International. He was named among 100 notable people in medical device industry by the prestigious MD and DI Medical Devices and Diagnostics Industry magazine. He has been an, an invited speaker at clinical, business, and engineering conferences to speak about medical device innovation and commercialization. Sanjay holds a doctorate in material sciences and engineering from the University of Florida and a bachelor's from the Indian Institute of Technology. He resides in Irvine, California, and lives with his wife and two children. So, Sanjay, welcome to the podcast. It is really an honor to have you here today. Thank you, Julio. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Excellent, Sanjay. So let's get this started. So could you please briefly tell listeners about your journey to Latin America? How do you get involved with the region? Yeah, so um, Julio, I was a director of global marketing at Medtronic, and then I was a vice president of uh, strategic marketing um, at uh, BTG for uh, 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 some time. And at both companies, we launched products in uh, around the world. We commercialized products around the world, including Latin America. Um, and uh, Brazil is a huge market. Mexico is a very, very good market. And many of the other markets that are smaller, uh, but they are growing. So I view Latin America to be a tremendous growth engine that's uh, clearly underdeveloped as a medical device market, but has um, increasingly large opportunity to offer for, for medical device companies. Fantastic, Sanjay. Thank you for that. All right. So let's get a little deeper into your experience do you have uh, any experience with clinical research in Latin America first in human research? Actually, I'd like to do clinical research in Latin America, Julio, um, especially with the 
Europe uh, becoming a bit more difficult now with the upcoming um, medical device regulation that gets implemented in 2020, in the middle of 2020. But for practical purposes, many of the notified bodies have begun to implement it towards the end of uh, 2019. And what that means is that more com- companies are will be required to do more to get a CE mark. And I view um, Latin America as a place that has many, many very highly trained U.S. from doctors from US, trained at U.S. institutions that have tremendous skill, a very good patient pool, um, and uh, in relative physical proximity to the U.S., where many of these medical device companies are located. So I'd love to explore Latin America as uh, as an opportunity for us to do some first-in-man tri- trials for, for some of the upcoming products, including my own startup company products. Excellent. All right. So you haven't done uh, actual trials yet, but you are interested in conducting or exploring the possibility of conducting trials in Latin America. Fair enough. My, my closest experience, Julio, is through the company that I serve on the board called Hancock Jaffe Laboratories which recently announced um, that they conducted their first uh, implant for for their venous valve in uh, Colombia, Bogota. And that was very successful from what I heard from the CEO. They were very pleased with the the experience there. Very good. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so let's focus our conversation, Sanjay, on uh, your experience with the commercialization of medical technologies in Latin America. So please briefly tell me about your strategy when you were involved with these large companies. Um, Did you have a proactive and well-thought-out strategy where you created a market access plan for each country you were planning to enter? Or did you have kind of an opportunistic and reactive approach where you waited for a shooter to contact you? No, absolutely. We 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 uh, we recognized that at least parts of Latin America were very interesting to us, and we proactively wanted to reach there, uh, um, notably Brazil. Um, of course, it does take some time to get the NVISA audits completed and get the regulatory clearance in Brazil, and that some time may be of the order of two years. Uh, so it does feel like a long time, but it's a very sizable market, and. Um, we uh, we have our own, the companies that I work for have had some uh, local uh, regional leadership in those areas, uh, but it was usually a hybrid model where we employed or engaged local distributors, in some cases, uh, local distributors and sub-distributors uh, that were managed by, by our own team. And it varied a bit from country to country and sub-region to sub-region within within South America, but that was generally the model that worked. Um, Physician education program is another big opportunity that I saw to grow the medical device business. Uh, While I said that many of the doctors are very well trained, there are many more that uh, that are there that are ready for receiving training for newer devices and newer technologies that are coming to market. So the companies that are going to Latin America, uh, I think if they can keep this in mind and invest in training local talent, they can see a, a tremendous uh, opportunity there and growth for both for the for their own products and product use, as well as a benefit to the to the local patient community. Excellent. Very good. 
All right, so let's talk a little bit about your regulatory or market clearance experience in the region, Sanjay. Um, in what country have you been involved with, with regulatory bodies in, in Latin America? So our company um, got regulatory clearances in uh, Mexico, in Brazil, in Argentina, uh, Colombia, and, uh, and some of the other smaller markets as well. Uh, mostly it was done through the local agents and through the local third party once the, once the dossier was ready. Um, I think some places uh, were relatively fast. Once we had the U.S. clearance, we could get approval in Mexico in a reasonable time, for instance. Um, but uh, there were some countries that took, uh, that took uh, longer than perhaps uh, we would like. Okay. So you were not directly involved in the operational aspect of the submissions. Uh, you, you had a more overseeing role. Yeah, that, that's correct. We were the beneficiary of it. We were waiting for when the when the regulatory clearances can come through, so we can begin to uh, begin to commercialize the product, begin to you know train the distributors, train the salespeople, train the doctors, and get the product used. And uh, but uh, but typically the regulatory department was the one that was working with the local uh, sources uh, that would do the interface with the regulatory bodies. All right. So what about the process of selecting a distributor, uh, Sanjay? Could you please go over uh, your experience with that? Yeah, I think that's uh, the number one. I'd say important thing for 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 any company to be successful. And they could end up having a mixed bag of experiences, depending on whom they are dealing with and how to find uh, those right people. We were we were lucky to have people on staff who spoke local languages, particularly in Spanish. We we, we had people speaking Spanish language and sufficient uh, numbers, but uh, you know we didn't have people speaking Portuguese, for instance. Uh, always, we found that. Having the local language that definitely brings us a bit closer to um, understanding in depth on whom to select, and uh, we were very particular about the ethical aspect uh, and integrity, um, that those things are very important for us to work with any any distributor, um, the service, the quality of service, and uh, the fact that they they are not working with another competitor in the same space. Those are some of the other things that were important to us. The geographical reach, that how local versus local regional they are, that's another. You can find a distributor that's uh, got a nationwide presence, and you can find a distributor that's got a great handle over four hospitals in a very sub small sub-region. So that, that presents a challenge for the companies to understand the depth and the breadth of the of, of the distributors that they are dealing with um, asking the right questions um, understanding um, their prior backgrounds prior experiences their ability to not just be a service provider many of these cutting-edge devices that i have worked on they are they can be very training intensive that require very clinically savvy uh, people at distributor staff. So we don't just need them to have a permit to supply to the hospital and or um, having staff who can bring the devices physically and deliver them to the hospital. We need them to be much more. We need them to be commercially savvy, clinically savvy, where their staff can absorb uh, the methods and the nuances and actually help 
the doctor on the right use of devices. So that's that was perhaps the most difficult thing for us to find people who had that type of clinical aptitude um, to be able to be relied on for their clinical knowledge. So it, it was overall, it was a mixed experience and we continue to learn and evolve and continue to find people who, who would stick with us and who will, uh, who will provide the best service. Great answer, Sanjay. Yeah, good, good, good insights. Thank you for that. All right, so moving along, um, what about demand generation? I mean, were you involved in some type of activities or strategies or tactics to generate demand from the end user to your product so that the distributor could fulfill it? I um, As I alluded to both uh, patient education programs as well as, as well as physician education and training programs uh, can be very, very helpful in this area. They take investment, they take time. In many cases, or at least in some cases, we were sending a Spanish-speaking person from Spain um, who um, had prior experience with device because the products were marketed in Europe before they were marketed in many of the Latin American countries to go out there and deliver this tips and tricks and uh, tactical training to uh, to both to distributors as well as to physicians. And that was very, very effective. The promoting, depending on what it is, if it's a product that needs to, where we need to create awareness in patient, then marketing it, uh, to the patient population through local programs in large cities, et cetera, can be very impactful, creating an awareness in patients, both on how to, that they may have a disease that they don't know about, in some cases that, or some cases it's that disease can progress to a level worse than where they are and that uh, there are treatments available for them. And lastly, in some cases, awareness like acute ischemic stroke, where if you, it's just been shown and proven that if people, if you run the television ads and make people aware that how to tell that they're having a stroke, that saves many, many lives because people can tell early um, that um, they are having a stroke and, and hopefully they can be directed by, by their own self-diagnosis can create that sense of urgency for them to be driven to or taken to a nearby hospital that can offer stroke care. And in stroke business, time is money. So you're basically every second, every minute, you're losing millions of neurons. So, so patient awareness, to sum it up, patient awareness programs, physician training programs, um, those two things are the key, I think, to, to create and develop the market. These things do take investment, and companies might think that I, I create this and my competitors are going to get benefits from it as well, but that's uh, that's part of uh, the game, that uh, if, if it's a leading company does it, then chances are that they could create a brand name for themselves and get uh, get majority of that market share. Even if they don't get 100% of the pool that they are growing, they could still get a significant chunk of it. Great answer. Very good. Okay. So what about pricing, Sanjay? How do you see Latin America as compared to other regions in terms of pricing? I mean, do you think it's a very price sensitive region or not? I mean, what are your thoughts? Most of it is, uh, I'd say the price um, price that the region is willing to pay is um, something similar to let's say what we get in middle east lower than the price that uh, that the european market's willing to pay clearly lower than the mar- than the price that the us market's willing to pay 
So that that definitely um, presents challenges in terms of technology, how fast the technology becomes available in many of these countries, because the countries that are willing to pay price for technology, they get the technology early. It's been it's been proven. Countries like Argentina and uh, perhaps Argentina more than others, uh, we've been able to get good price. And it's uh, it's actually the case that they sometimes get technology much earlier, like neurovascular uh, flow diverters. Um, that's a new technology that replaces and how brain aneurysms were treated prior to that were using coils, which took you know many, many coils for the doctors to put in the brain. And once the flow diverter came out, they could just put this one stent-like device and treat many of the brain aneurysms. Um, uh, and Argentina was actually at the forefront of that development. Argentina got exposure to that device before it was approved in the U.S. because there are some leading centers there that are at the, at the leading edge of the world. And uh, they were able to not only utilize but be part of developing that procedure and uh, and the product in general. So you have almost uh, two different ends, but they did pay a premium price for it. So you have a bit of a spectrum there. And I think uh, again, for the if it's a message to the local governments and 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 people that uh, you know there's a price that we have to pay for a technology, and if we're willing to pay more, then we do get the technology early. Very good. Okay. What about reimbursements, Sanjay? Have you been faced? with situations where you had to ask the government or, I mean, government officials or to lobby the government for reimbursement or what's the process uh, to get reimbursed in, in Latin America based on your experience? Yeah, I mean, of course, we, we stay within our own ethical and legal boundaries, but we did have in Brazil, we had a local government affairs team that worked with government to communicate our message and our value offering that how it's going to help the government of Brazil uh, and the people of Brazil and to make our case for reimbursement. I think time is probably my biggest concern that everything takes a long time there. So can it be done faster would be my probably one message if I could pass on to, to the local community and, and the authorities that can we expedite the processes so we can... Uh, uh, make these things available to our people and in a more timely manner rather than being behind the rest of the world two or three or five years behind in many cases. Okay, Sanjay, what about the importation process and the duties, et cetera, in Latin America? What's your experience with that? Yeah, that's another one that, uh, I mean, of course, every country has to have the processes. And I have a little bit of experience that sometimes our products got stuck in the customs and it took longer time to clear than we would have liked. Uh, in spite of having local agents, which we did in most places. So, um, again, nothing, you know, drastic there, but uh, it may just be a matter. And I'm not close enough to the actual administrative processes to add anything meaningfully there for me to say that, okay, remove this, this, this step. This is not so useful or expedite this, this, this step. But uh, But, yes, there have been situations where we had a situation where we couldn't uh, import product for, for a period of time. Um, our license was not renewed. And then we had to ship a whole bunch of product for, for a duration that it's going to take. Our license was expiring and it wouldn't be renewed for another six to nine months. As a result, we wouldn't be able to receive any inventory for that period. So we had to make a whole lot of product and ship it 
uh, to a country so they can store the inventory for the next uh, six to nine months time. So, so, so those so we have mixed again mixed type of experiences there, and um, I think having uh, this requirement of a local local agent is reasonable. Um, but making the custom procedures a bit more smooth and particularly expeditious uh, will help us, especially ship product for many of the emergent situations. Another uh, example I will give that for one product, sometimes we need some accessory that's not available. We needed a high-pressure argon gas cylinders that get used with a medical device um, to treat cancer. And it turned out that in... Uh, even uh, you know many of the Latin American countries, there was no high-pressure argon gas cylinders available. So they have to use low-pressure gas cylinders. Then, in the middle of a treatment, they have to change the cylinder, which you know doctors don't have the luxury to uh, to uh, to afford uh, to, to to change the cylinder in the middle of a procedure when they're treating somebody's cancer. So that limited our ability to launch uh, that particular technology. So it's not always the direct infrastructure that's, uh, you know, that how, how products are brought in, how products are approved, how products are reimbursed. Sometimes these accessory uh, support system or, and that type of infrastructure uh, can come in the, in the way as well. So that particular product is still the one that I'm referring to. Uh, as far as I know, it's still not launched in uh, American countries for the, for the reasons that they don't have high-pressure argon gas available in hospitals. Wow, that's, that's very intriguing. Hmm. Interesting case. Okay, moving along, Sanjay, what's been your experience with corruption or bribery in the region in light of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act of 1977? I can only tell you this, that the companies that I've worked for, they have had very strict and very, very clean policy that we don't engage in any illegal or unethical practices. So um, even if the local system demands it, we choose uh, to stick with our values, our moral, ethical and uh, moral and ethical values and stay within the legalities of the matter and completely discouraged to a point that even there were situations when I heard that uh, some of the distributors had to be um, terminated from the company uh, when the company sensed that there were some practices that they were engaging in were not uh, uh, legal or, or boundary line, uh, um, not legal. Okay. Hmm. I see. Okay, Sanjay, uh, we're about to finish. I mean, any, are there any other areas that we haven't mentioned here uh, that you think we should discuss? No, I just wanted to reiterate what I, a few of the things that I um, brought that, I mean, with 625 million people, it can be a very attractive market, and many of those patients can afford the technologies. Many of the regions or sub-regions have uh, very well-trained doctors available, um, I think the regulatory burden will, I'm sure, continue to ease in countries where it's taking a long time to get regulatory approvals, but it's an opportunity for, for, for both for Latin American patients, for Latin American governments to cash on this uh, MDR getting implemented in Europe and draw attention from many of the medical device companies that are U.S.-based most often to their market and get the more out of them early, uh, both in terms of commercial availability of the product as well as uh, um, enabling some of the early human experience. And I personally look forward to um, utilizing that if I can in the near future for my startup companies. So it's been a pleasure. 
Okay. And um, do you see any major trends happening in the region or, or somewhere else that are affecting Latin America positively or negatively? I mean, so political unrest clearly doesn't help in certain countries like Venezuela. You know, people want to go to places that they feel safe and secure. So anywhere where there is any any um, types of uh, terrorism or, or safety and security risks, uh, they they clearly would uh, get some of the drawbacks, some of the disadvantages in terms of uh, having people come there to do business with them. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So going back to to trends and to what you were saying about the UMDR, I'd like to dig a little deeper into that because I think listeners will be uh, interested in in really understanding how the UMDR is representing a major trend in the global medical device business that is having an, an, a consequence in, in Latin America, uh, a positive consequence, I should say, because it's, it's really about bringing more uh, human research to the region. Could you please elaborate a little bit more on that? What's really happening in Europe? So European Union currently follows what's called Medical Device Directive. Medical Device Directive is the... Um, body that is the, is the directive that directs um, how medical devices are approved for, to be commercialized in European Union. They decided to implement a new uh, program, and that's called Medical Device Regulation, MDR. And the MDR will be implemented in May 2020. Uh, and until then, it's MDD, the Medical Device Directive that I, that I talked about. But many of the notified bodies have begun to follow what will be required for MDR for the filings that are going in towards the end of this year already. So there is a very small window that companies have to get the products approved under medical device directive. Generally speaking, the people's belief is that the MDR or medical device regulation would have more stringent requirements for devices to get approved. Um, for example, many of the devices that did need a clinical trial under the current medical device directive will require a clinical trial before a CE mark can be issued for medical devices under medical device regulation. So what that means for Europe, for instance, that Europe has been the hotbed of innovation for medical devices. And the reason for it is that companies would generally market many of the products in Europe first. So what happens when you market a new product, bring it to a, to a geographic region, everybody learns. The doctors learn how to use the product better. Doctors learn how to select the patients better. Medical devices begin to iterate. The local community learns how to innovate what the truly unmet need, needs are. And they are at the cutting edge of it because they are learning ahead of many of the other countries, particularly U.S. in many cases. And they, will, they are coming back and teaching the, the U.S. population, the U.S. physician population in the device world on, on what they learned from there. But then if the MDR uh, puts requirements that are similar to the U.S. FDA, that are going to require similar clinical trials for many of these devices to get approved, um, that makes it uh, um, difficult for the companies to go there first. And, and most likely companies may find other geographic locations to try to get their early human experience, um, other geographic locations that have that type of trained physician pool and facilities and uh, 
patient populations. So that I think presents the, the biggest beneficiary of that I think is going to be Latin America, in my opinion, because of physical proximity to the, to the United States. Wow. Very exciting times for Latin America then. Not just for doctors, not just for patients, but also for the local entrepreneurship community, local local research community, everybody uh, will win as a result. Fantastic, Sanjay. Well, uh, we are about to finish, but before we uh, end this episode, Sanjay, I'd like to ask you for any final thoughts uh, to our listeners, any final tips or recommendations or comments? No, nothing, nothing else. I, I, I just say that, you know, um, so let's continue down down the path of this health, you know, bringing healthcare innovation to Latin America and continue to make Latin America a major part of healthcare innovation on the, on the global scene by utilizing some of these opportunities that we discussed. Excellent, Sanjay. Thank you so much. So I'd like to finish the episode and I... We'll be in touch with you. Thank you again. I, it was a pleasure having you in these episodes, and I'm sure listeners got a lot of uh, good insights from, from your experiences in the region. Thank you for your attention. Bye-bye. Take care.